great to be with you. I hope you had a really great week. I had a, a really good week. I was with a group of Chinese pastors. There uh, as a fellowship in North America of Chinese pastors connected with our uh, denomination, and there's about 75, 80 of them, 80 churches, Chinese churches. We're part of that fellowship because we have, you know, a Mandarin-speaking and a Cantonese-speaking fellowship here. And uh, so they send their greetings, and it was a, a rich time. And then I got to be part of um, the Men's Summit, which is really fantastic. And you've got a husband or a dad at the Men's Summit. It's just it's rocking this, this year. It's been really, really rich. And Brian's doing a fantastic job bringing the word. And it's a great time of fellowship. And I got a tattoo, which is very cool, from the Men's Summit. It's one of those, don't sweat it. It's one of those fake, you know, ones, so I'm not going to keep it. But... Um, just a reminder about, you know, the good things that I'm learning and growing in. So we're in Revelation chapter 12. And if you turn your Bible open to Revelation chapter 12, appreciate that. Whatever kind of form of, you know, whether it's your phone or whatever you're using or one of those books um, that are right in front of you called the Bible, Holy Bible. That's great. And we're at the last book is book of Revelation. If you haven't been with us, but going through the book of Revelation, which is a fantastic um, opening up to us a picture of who Christ is and what he is doing in our world and what he is going to do, what he's going to accomplish. So we're in, uh, right in the middle of the book in Revelation chapter 12. For those of you who are artists or appreciate art, um, you might be familiar with the name George Surratt. Uh, Surratt was one of those, uh, actually he was the leader of a movement called pointillism. Are you familiar with this, some of you? Um, I know you're laughing at me, but he took over two years to uh, paint his masterpiece by just making little dots. That's why they call it pointillism instead of connecting the dots. That'd probably be a little less, you know, academic of a description. But he took two years to, to paint this painting, just painting the dots. And I was thinking about that image because oftentimes when I read the Bible, uh, a portion, maybe a verse or two or a chapter, what I'm doing is the same thing as if I was looking at that picture by Surratt and just looking at it like this, right? I'm just looking at a very small point of time. And um, it can be rich and really speak to me powerfully, but I'm seeing the small piece. And to see the grand masterpiece, I need to step back a little bit and see it. And if you, you do that with Surratt's, work, you can look back and all of a sudden it all makes sense. And in a sense, that's what Revelation 12 is going to help us do. We're stepping back to see the grand scope of the plan of God. And as we do, we're seeing it from heaven's perspective, the perspective of heaven, of the grand scheme. So think about that. When we read the text, it'll help you understand. And there's a message to you in this chapter. Sometimes, and we've mentioned this often, when we dig into the imagery, the symbols, and the details of the book of Revelation, it's fascinating. We're discovering all these things. We're doing cross-references and all the prophetic scriptures in the Old Testament, which is really important to do, and in the New Testament, connecting it to the words of Jesus and connecting it to the, to the other sayings, like in Thessalonians, you know, about what's going to happen in the times. We're, we're putting the pieces all together, and it's very easy to miss the powerful story of the message that God is communicating to us. And in this chapter, there is a message that you cannot miss. It's found right in the middle of it. And as we read the text, I just want just to, when you see it in, as we read through it, just go, oh, you know, just, oh, this is good. Because it is, 
It's a great message. And I'm going to tell you it right now as, as we lead into the text. The message is this, that in the thick of the battle that you currently face, whether it is a wrestling with school or work or marriage or family or finances or health, in the middle of this, God has designed you to be an overcomer, to overcome. He has crafted his children to live with confidence, to know this powerful truth that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. He has given us a sure hope of his victory that is to come. So with those words, we're going to just jump right into the text. We're going to try to answer some of the questions and the thoughts of that text and dive into it. So, Revelation chapter 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven, which of course makes us think about that for a second because all the way through Revelation, we've been seeing these great signs, right? We've been seeing like things that are beyond our imagination and we're wondering about, we're trying to figure out. And now it says another, it doesn't say another, it just says a great sign. So a great sign appears in heaven. And here's a sign, a symbol, right? Picture. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. And she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and his seven, on his heads seven diadems. And his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child. One who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now, war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly away from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times 
and half a time. The serpent poured water out like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured out from his mouth. Then the dragon came, became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. It's a fascinating picture. It's got a lot of layers to it, doesn't it? Don't panic. Like, don't get um, so overwhelmed with the complexity of the vision. I want to answer us first for us to get into some interpretive, interpretive questions that are there. And then to, to think about the grand scheme of what's happening, the story that's being told here, right? So um, five big questions. Here they are. Who's the woman? That's important to know. Who's the dragon? Who's the child? There's three major figures in this text right here. What's the time frame that's being spoken of? And lastly, and most importantly, always ask the question, what is God doing? What is God doing here? Okay? So, um, first things first. The text is communicating to us something really powerful. Before we get to the, the questions, and it's this. That, um, that there's a real spiritual battle going on in the heavens and on earth right now. And we are often clueless to it. I've discovered that in different parts of the world, some people are very much more attuned to the weight of the spiritual battle that exists. Right? There's brothers and sisters in different parts of the world who get it, and they get it very, it's very obvious to them that there's a spiritual battle. But here... In the U.S., in the Western world often, we relegate that to kind of fairy tales. Or it's not really true. It's not really part of our experience. I'm here to tell you that God's word tells us very clearly that you are in the thick of a spiritual battle. A battle for your soul and a battle for eternity. And you are in the middle of it. And you are powerless except for the power of Jesus to win. You're in the middle of a real spiritual battle. Um, Forrest West, I just told on him now, he sent me a little joke this week. And he's, it goes like this. These two boys were, uh, were coming home from Sunday school. And uh, their Sunday school teacher really told them this very impressive story about the devil. And so one kid turns to his friend and they're walking home. And he says, so what do you make of all that stuff? You know, do you think, do you think the devil's real? And the other kid says... Oh, you know, I think it's kind of like Santa Claus. He's probably just our dad. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, it's not your dad, okay? <laughs> you might see some echoes of that, you know, in his behavior at times, but it's not your dad. We are in the thick of a battle, a real spiritual battle with real spiritual forces. And this text helps us understand that. To get clear from heaven's perspective, not your perspective, from the perspective of heaven that sees all the eons. It's, it's, it's a telescoping of history in this text. And it's helping us see the flow of the battle from beginning to end. What's going to happen? So, first of all, who's the woman? In the book of Revelation, oftentimes a woman is identified as a religious either group or system. For example, in chapter 2, it 
It mentions the word Jezebel, who was a woman, of course, from the Old Testament we're familiar with, a very godless ruler in the Old Testament. But it gives us a picture of Jezebel in Revelation 2.20 of more than just a, a single woman, but a false teachers, a group of false and lying teachers. Of course, in chapter 17, in a few more chapters, we're going to get to the great harlot, which was a false teaching, a false religion, a group of people who were following this false lie. And in chapter 19, we see the bride. The bride is us. That's right. Those of us who are of the Lord, those of us who are committed our, our lives to follow Christ, we are the bride of Christ, made holy by his holiness, by the gift of the washing, the cleansing of his blood that sacrificed for us on the cross. And by faith, we get to be the bride. So that's a picture for us that's going to come. And when we see it in all its fullness in 19, it's going to be really great. So those people, um, that's, that's one thing you need to know. There's a system or groups of people that have been identified in Revelation itself as a woman. Some people believe that, um, for example, the Roman Catholic teaches, church teaches that this woman here in Revelation 12 is Mary, which is problematic because of verse 6 and of several other texts. So it, it can't really be Mary. Mary Baker Eddy of Christian Scientists said, that was me. It's talking about me, she says, which for many reasons is wacko, I think, but I'm not going to go into that. Other people have said, it's, maybe, maybe this is the church. Or some other picture. But it doesn't really fit the flow, I don't believe. So, what could it be? Interestingly, in Genesis chapter 37, the imagery that's spoken of that, that John uses here to describe this woman, and the, the, the imagery is very close to imagery used in Genesis 37, which is speaking of Israel. And in larger part, um, or more specific, I should say, the remnant of Israel. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, there is a group of prophesying scriptures about what God's plan is for the remnant of Israel in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah. In Romans chapter 9, it tells us that to them, it's talking about Israel, is traced the ancestry of Christ. That's an important text, I believe, because this tells us that the woman, out of the woman comes the child. And we're going to see why the child, I believe the child is very clearly the picture of Christ because of how he rules. So I believe this is pointing us to, and again, everything's interpretation, right? Perhaps I don't have it nailed here, and that's not really the heart of the text, but I believe this is Israel's remnant. And Jesus himself, of course, said in John chapter 4 that salvation comes from the Jews. What's he talking about there? He's not talking about it comes from the Jewish system of belief. He's talking about it comes from the Messiah, Christ himself. That's who it comes from. So there's a woman in the text. I believe that this is speaking to Israel's remnant. And there is a dragon. And it's very clear. This is the simplest one here because he's identified right in the text, right? Verse, verse 9 tells us that the dragon is Satan. And his entire career, we know this about Satan himself, is to deceive to deceive all of mankind, to rob, do all he can to rob God of his glory and people of relationship with God. He is a deceiver from the first to the last. 
And in fact, he is also the accuser of the saints. Engaged before the throne of God, accusing you. Have you ever had those feelings? Man, I am, I am worthless. There's no way that God's going to forgive this sin one more time because there's been so many times where I've asked for forgiveness. Have you ever felt that God's love could not extend to you? Have you ever felt, man, I've got no special talents, nothing I could do that, that really would stand out? Have you ever felt in the middle of family tension and what is this all, where is this headed? Have you ever felt the weight of depression, feeling like, There's no hope for the future. Those things come from the accuser of the saints. The accuser of you, even before God. Did you see that? Once again, that George guy, right? Once again, Sparky's doing that. Father, how how could you, God, how could you possibly love that guy who calls you his father? It's the accuser of you and I. So that's the dragon, And the child, who's identified as the person who will rule all the nations with an iron rod or an iron scepter. It's using language straight out of Psalm chapter 2 that speaks of the Messiah. Who says, I will set my king on a holy hill of Zion. I, I am going to establish, God speaking, the king. And that, of course, in the sweep of the story of Revelation is Jesus Christ. So that's the child. The time frame that this, this book covers is the sweep of history from the beginning where God had a plan to send his Messiah and Satan had a plan to devour and conquer the son. And we're told here in the text that it didn't work. Satan's plan was thwarted. And not only that was Satan's plan thwarted, but that war breaks out in heaven. And this is a text that tells us about the nature of the war on a cosmic scale as Satan wars against it and wars against God. So that's in verse chapter 7. Now war arose in heaven and Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he, that is Satan, was defeated And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. They were thrown out of heaven. There's a series of falls that Satan takes. This particular fall is described by Milton in Paradise Lost. I'm going to just read a few of the words that Milton writes of this scene in Revelation 12. Michael bid sound the archangel trumpet. Through the vast of heaven it sounded. And the faithful armies run Hosanna to the highest nor stood at gaze the adverse legions, nor less hideous joined the horrid shock. Now storming fury rose and clamor such as heard in heaven till now was never. Arms and armor clashing braid horrible discord, and the maddening wheels of brazen chariots raged. Dire was the noise of conflict overhead, The dismal hiss of fiery darts and flaming volleys flew. And flying vaulted either host with fire. So under fiery cope together rushed both battles main. With ruinous assault and inextinguishable rage. 
all heaven resounded. And had earth been then, all earth had to her center shook. And what we're told in this text is that heaven went. Satan is thrown down. And when he's thrown down, earth should take notice. So Satan is the vanquished enemy. And we're told that throughout the book of Revelation. And it's written there to give you hope today. To give us hope as believers. That we're victorious. That we stand on the victor's side. All right? I, sh- I should get at least one Oh, that's good, or amen, or something from you on that, right? That, that we are on the victor's side and that God wins over the accuser of our souls. That he is already the vanquished enemy. And then really the heart of the text, I believe, is found here for you. This message is to you in verses 10 and 11. So let's focus our attention there this morning. Verse 10 says, And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. We've already mentioned this in the past. It's already told us that this is happening in Revelation, that his kingdom now is. It's come at this point in the story that John is writing for us. And again, it's reemphasized here as the big story, the sweep of history is told to us that this is the point where when all our prayers of praying, Lord Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done, it's happening. And it happens right here, right? This is the like goosebump moment where it happens and he's, he's here and he reigns. And what is the consequence of that? It says, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. No longer will he have access Satan to heaven. No longer will he be able to accuse the brethren, to accuse us men and women. No longer will he have access. Now, God doesn't believe the accusations against you, but he's had access all this time through history. And here's the the door being shut on Satan as he is thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. That's why you feel the weight of the accusation, but no longer. Because of the victory in heaven. And I heard a loud voice in heaven say this. Just rumbling in heaven. Salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Amen to that. And it says in verse 11. They have conquered him, Satan. By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives, even unto death. So how is it that a person overcomes? What does the text say? First, it's by the blood of the lamb. It's not by any great invention of, uh, you know, machinery or new bomb or new strategy in war. It's this old strategy, the historic strategy of God That we are victors, we overcome everything, even Satan himself is overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, on his sacrifice on the cross. So when he died on the cross, which has already happened, he conquered death. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. Death, where is your, where is it? 
right? Because he is the victor. Where is the power in defeat? Where is it that you can be beat and overcome? Is it in the issue of health that you're struggling with right now or someone that you love is struggling with? Is it just the overwhelming load you're carrying at work? You're never going to please your boss and maybe you'll lose your job. Or is it in school where you never feel like you can measure off to someone's expectations? Is it in the struggle in your relationship and your marriage right now? Is that where you're going to get beat or where you're going to... The Lord has planned for you victory. By the power of what he did on the cross. And he's already done it on the cross. He's already won this victory for you. And that's the only path where you will find victory. Where you turn to Jesus and say, I need your help. Because the truth of it is, if we are like to be able to be real with each other, we are all broken. Every person here. We are all powerless We don't have the power internally. I don't care what you've been playing at. When you walked in the door, Sarah, you were surrounded by people who were broken, by people who struggle, who have real struggles in their lives, people who are incapable of winning that battle by themselves, fully incapable, right? Even a strong guy like Bobby over here, he he cannot do it by himself. Victory happens through the blood of Christ who's been shed on the blood for us, shed on the cross for us, his blood. And because of that victory that we have in Christ Jesus, all victories are ours. We can become overcomers. We are already in Christ, in that place. And one day, it's going to be established for all time, is what this passage is telling us. Who is it that accuses you? How powerful is he? He is powerful, but he is not as powerful as your king. Those who overcome, overcome by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, of, of the Lord. And the power of their testimony, that is, they have aligned themselves with Christ. They have stood up and said, I am the Lord's. I am his. And they have spoken that out. And here in the text, in the context of the text, remember John is writing to a persecuted people, people who would risk their lives to say it. And many of them were losing their lives, were being persecuted, who would be willing, whatever the cost, to be aligned with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the great encouragement to us. I love these words from Charles Spurgeon, who says this, If anything can make a man holy, I'm sure he's including women in this quote, right? It is a firm faith in the atoning sacrifice. You know what that is? That the atonement was the sacrifice on the cross, the, the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ to take all of our unholiness, all of our brokenness, all of our sin, and to to cover it with his holiness, to pay the price for us so that we might be one with him. We might have intimacy. You might draw close to him. This morning is designed for you to be intimate with Christ. 
and to have confidence in the Lord, to walk out of here and know that you are marked by the Lord God as his child if you've placed your faith in him, and to know that nothing can beat you this week because you stand in Christ. So if anything can make a man holy, it is firm faith in the atoning sacrifice. The precious blood of Jesus is not meant for us merely to admire and exhibit. This isn't just about us saying, wow, how great is Jesus? He's great, and admiring him is important, but it's not just about that. We must not be content, Spurgeon says, to talk about it and extol it and do nothing with it, but we are to use it in the great crusade against unholiness and unrighteousness till it is said of us, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. This precious blood is to be used for overcoming and consequently for holy warfare. We dishonor it if we do not use it to that end. The dog of hell knows the dread name which makes him lie down. That's the name of Jesus. We must confront him with the authority and specifically with the atonement of the Lamb of God. That's powerful words, isn't it? When we are facing struggle, whatever struggle, when we are facing our own brokenness and failings, our incapacity, our pain, our wounding, there is only one answer. It is to be an overcomer through the blood of the Lamb through the Lord Jesus Christ, with this great confidence that we know this is the historic plan of God. He's always planned it this way, that we might claim the power of what Christ did on the cross and walk forward in victory. He did not design the church, and he did not design his followers to be losers, to fail. He designed us to win, to be victorious, and to live in the confidence of that. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, There are those here right now who are without victory. They're facing failure and struggle because they have not turned to the power of who you are and what you've done for them. And I pray this morning you would just move them close to you to help them to understand the power of your great sacrifice for them and and to live in that. And each moment when they feel the accuser, when they sense failure, that they would turn and run to your sacrifice and claim it for their own. That they would say, it's by the power of the blood of Jesus, by his sacrifice for me, that I find victory in this and over this. I pray, Father, for those who have yet to place their faith in you and they are living without the power of Christ that you would so convict them and move them this morning that they would long to have victory and they would find victory in you. They would just commit their life to you, turn to you who is victorious. And I pray for all of us, Father, in the moments that we face this week of struggle and hardship and defeat feelings of our brokenness when it feels like it's overwhelming us, whatever that might be, that that you would remind us in the depths of our soul how good it is to be yours, that we're your child and you are the victorious king and we find our victory in the blood of the lamb, not on some 
magical, superstitious view of that, but a sure understanding and confidence that you won through the cross. And the cross brings us victory in every area of our life. Lord, pour out your victory into the lives of your saints for your glory, not our own, so that we might pat ourselves on the back, but so that you might proclaim glory in our lives and the lives of this church this week. And we pray these things in the powerful and victorious name of the risen Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.